Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Fresca, and welcome back to our podcast. What do we got today, Tommy? Well, today we're, again, going to the past a little bit, but not, not too far. We're not going into ancient history, although some of it might sound out for some of the younger listeners. But we're going to be looking at the um, history of video games to a certain degree. We're really going to dive into the uh, console wars of the, I guess, what, late early, early 90s, all the way leading up to uh, today, what started the console wars, who, who were the major combatants in in these uh, console wars, and then how people are saying now it's it's over. There's still some friendly competition. Video games make up a $100 billion global market, and two-thirds of American homes have video games in them right now. Yeah. So there's really no wonder that you know they're so popular, and uh, there's, there's a lot that goes in it. And when there's that much money, people are going to get competitive. Absolutely. And and I think for some of you guys that are may not be into video games, uh, we're not, you know, we're not just going to concentrate on the console wars, but give you guys a brief overview of video game history as a whole and how video games uh, developed. And we're not really speaking specifically about specific video games per se, although we will be mentioning those. This is more or less uh, about the social phenomenon that video games have become since 1950s and really through its heyday in the 70s and the arcades in the 80s and eventually home consoles in mid 80s to today. So a lot of this is nostalgia. It's, it's about what you guys remember about uh, advertising and, you know. It's also an example of capitalism. You look at the yeah. console wars, it's an example of capitalism on a world stage, not just in the United States. Yep. All right, so what we're going to do, I think we're going to run through just early days of video games, how video games came to be. You know, there we have the creation of the home console. We'll talk about the arcade craze of late 70s, early 80s, and I'm sure some of our listeners remember that. I know you and I, Tom, used to go to arcades all the time. And then we'll get into the main console war that really leaves a mark, I guess, on culture and what it means to be a gamer affiliation. You know, I, mean, I remember arguing in, in a playground with, with people, you know, Sega's better. So it, it is kind of interesting how... Early days of video games. Um, a lot of the stuff I did not know until I started reading up on this, which is sometimes the case here. But in 1952, a British professor was doing his doctoral dissertation, right, for University of Cambridge. Yes. And as his doctoral dissertation, uh, he created basically a tic-tac-toe computer game, credited kind of like as the first computer-generated game, even though it's just tic-tac-toe, and you would still, you know, just click on X or an O. Then in 1958, you have William Higginbotham created Tennis for Two, and it was done also on an analog computer, and it connected a screen to it. So you really literally have, think of like a TV screen, um, and you could play like a Tennis for Two, but really, I mean, I think it looked like Pong, the grand scheme of things, right? That's basically what it was, yeah. And then in 1962, Steve Russell of Massachusetts, uh, MIT invented Space War, which was a computer-based space combat game. The machine that could run this game, which we're talking dots moving on the screen, uh, was 
was so cutting edge, these computers, that they could only be found at universities. This is not a home computer. It's not home computers, yeah. They were no arcades. You weren't going to go in again. Yeah, you weren't going to see this anywhere else. And a lot of people that did see it would be like, just just what is that? It, just, it was just kind of, it was very foreign, alien almost type of technology. Yeah, it yeah, was very like, just, it was really just to show computer, it was really just computer programmers showing off. Exactly. This is, this is what we can do. Look at this for what we can do. And they're like, okay, it's a bunch of blinking lights. Computer itself was the size of a room in the 60s. So they connected a little screen to it. And they're, you know, like, look, I could turn this arrow here and they'll move this polygon. And it's like, whoa, you could do that. Um, these are the same computers that would take us to space, guys. That's basically what's happening. And yeah. as you mentioned, Tom, like you have these young people at MIT that are kind of like showing off like what they could do with these computers. But in reality, these are the same machines that will take uh, the United States to the moon. Um so not video games per se, but these are the beginnings. These three things. Yeah, it's the technology. The Without this technology, you're not having, you're not going to have home consoles, which is really what we're looking into next. Which start to be developed really in 1967 yep. at, at Sanders Associates Incorporated by a man by the name of Ralph Baer, and he's also known as kind of like the um, father of video games, right? Yep. So he starts. He has this um, video game system. Like, could we play on a television, which is a big thing, right? You can plug it into your TV. And it was simply known as the brown box, eventually called the Odyssey. And they did start selling it in the late 60s, early 70s. It actually um, came out in 1972. And it was very primitive, and it was somewhat successful. But again, it was kind of like a, a very much of a niche type of product, right? So it kind of fizzles out. Um, people w weren't really that into it. But one of its games was the inspiration for Pong. And that's really what becomes the big thing here is that that's why Odyssey kind of gets pulled in with this is because one of the games is basically Pong and then Pong starts to get released in the video arcades around the country, not even arcades, just in like bars, right? And, yep. and, um, restaurants and stuff. And that becomes very popular. And that's why in 75, when Atari comes out, they have their home version of Pong and that's just like successful. So Pong is really like, that's, that, that's, that's the one all the other games that kind of branch off from. Yep. Oh, yeah. And Which is basically table tennis, if people didn't. Everyone knows what Pong is, I'm assuming, if they're listening to it. Uh, yeah, I, I would think so, right? And the reason why this is important, you mentioned two things here that were, I'll kind of branch off a little bit. One, to finish up this idea of Odyssey. So Magnavox is the company that creates the actual video game system for the Odyssey and the 28 games that go along with it, including one that kind of maybe looks like Pong. Um, they wind up suing Atari because of the, this 1972 release of the Pong arcade. And in 1975, Atari releases the home version of this Pong, uh, which basically, don't think of this as the Atari yet. There's no interchangeable games. It's just one game. The Pong that you plug into your TVs yes, in the 70s. It. You, plug it you in. move this little dial, and basically, we've all seen Pong. Magnavox winds up suing them. And Atari settles, actually, with, with Odyssey and Magnavox because it kind of was the same game. So what starts happening... It was. <laughs> yeah. So Atari uh, settles. Um, they pay $100 million copyright lawsuits to Magnavox and Odyssey, but also it then becomes a license. But before I get into 1977 and Atari releasing the 2600, which is the first real console, and you know, and along with it comes Pong, I think we should like kind of veer off a little bit into this arcade craze because... Yeah, it becomes, that becomes popular. That's what video games are known as at this yes. time. There's no home consoles, really. It's, it's arcades, yep. going to arcades, playing them in arcades, um, you know, quarter, quarter in a machine, and that's how... These arcades were making money. That's how these video game developers were making money at this time. Yeah. And they were they were huge. Hundreds, thousands of dollars. I mean, just going in with in quarters. The origins of the video game arcades really trace back to Pong. Atari is so big because it starts 
not only the arcade craze, but also it starts up the home console craze as well, which is kind of sad that Atari's gone now, but we'll get into that later. So the first commercially successful arcade game is Pong, created by Atari in 72. And it kind of lays the foundation for what would become like a worldwide arcade phenomenon and eventually would pave the way for other huge arcade titles like Space Invaders and Pac-Man. But 1980s marked like the golden age, early 80s of video game arcades. Arcades becoming these cultural hotspots, bring in so many people. It was like an experience in itself. I remember seeing a documentary on it. I'm going to go back a little bit, Pete, with, uh, with the Pong game. That the people who originally made Pong, they put it in like some bar somewhere and they saw that the game was, um, people couldn't play the game. Like, oh man, did it malfunction? Like, oh, what happened? They went over and the game wouldn't go anymore. They couldn't play it because it was so filled with quarters. They had to actually unload all the quarters. So that's how popular the game was and how popular these games come. But yeah, people were making the money basically just on quarters. And now as time went on, they're like, we really can't really make as much money cycling through quarters. Like there's gotta be more to this. But people are seeing, you know, it's it's a gold mine. Like they can make a lot of money with this. And you see a little bit of that now. I guess when there's some of these we were talking about it before, some of these like retro arcades that pop up. My son just had a birthday party at one. And my son walked weeks, over to the corner and played Xbox. <laughs> yes, well yeah, they have <laughs> the, the Xbox games too. But they do have a lot of the older games there. Right. Some of them are even from the seventies. I remember seeing they had a couple of the older, older, older games, the old pinball machines and stuff like that. Considered retro now and old. And so like us. Yeah, like us. What we need to also mention is that it was really the rise of home gaming consoles in the 90s that destroyed, or rather brought about the oh, decline. But of- think about it, yeah, because you could bring it home. Yep. Like, well, why, why you have to go to the arcade, and you know, sometimes you don't want to go to the arcade, the other people in the arcade, or but you could bring it home, and it became more of like, that's why Nintendo actually markets it, like it's, an, it's a family system. You know, yep. so if you felt uncomfortable in the arcade, or you didn't want your young kids going to the arcade, you can still play these at home. Also, it means you can play them anytime. You have to wait till the arcade opens. Yeah, but for a while, their arcades had better graphics. That was always the big thing. Those yep. bigger machines had better processors, and it, that takes time for the small home console for the small to, to catch up to that. I mean, they could have done it, but they'd be expensive. You know, yep. the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, also known as the Video Computer Game System, nineteen seventy seven, includes a joystick very similar to what you would have in an arcade. Yeah, like a little button. And this one has interchangeable games. So if you're a parent, you know, in 1977, it's like, hey, mom, you're not buying me just Pong. Like, look, I could I could play, play this multiple times. If I get bored of one game, I can have another game. But for Atari, this is awesome because obviously they're licensing games and they, you know, their system is going to last for a while because they're just creating new games. This industry, same thing. Some of the first most popular games on Atari are arcade games that are brought over to the home game system, which are by no means the same graphics. Like I just played, no. uh, I just played Pac-Man on the 2600. And well, no, I, that was also horrible. The Pac-Man for Atari was notoriously horrible. Oh right? my God. And I have the actual Pac-Man arcade and I, it, wow. I would still, if this was 1977, 1980, I would like around 1981, let's say, I would rather still go to the arcade and play Pac-Man, then play it at home. I'm yeah, well, the Pac-Man too. There was everything about that. I remember it wasn't really. It didn't even look like Pac-Man. It was just kind of the name. And we'll get to that. That's what happened a lot with the Atari. Had these third-party developers baking the games, and a lot of times it was just they spent so much money they get the um, copyright to use that image, right? Yeah. That when the game itself was pretty bad. You play a lot of those early games. I know people on the Atari so classic, but the games are pretty much all the same. <laughs> for the most yes. part you're 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 a couple blocks you're dodging other blocks that are shooting blocks at you like yeah. that's pretty much what the game is continuously and just you get hit you die you have three lives but like yeah. again but if you're playing these games like the superman game the spider-man game i remember them and they're all pretty much the same yeah <laughs> but, it, it, but when you're a kid it didn't matter 
because it was just cool. And Space Invaders comes out in 78, and that kind of, again, drives it forward because it also comes out initially as an arcade game, and then it is ported over to Atari 2600. But 2600 is your beginning of at-home gaming. It's still not as good as the arcades. Therefore, people still tend to want to... Arcades are still popular. They're still popular in in this time. Yes. But, and also, I think we should say that, I mean, you have Intellivision, like, what is it? Coleco? What's Coleco? Coleco Vision was one that was in more color. I remember my uncle had that. I'll be mentioning him a couple times a lot of these games. He was like the big gamer, I guess, in the family. So he had ColecoVision. I remember my I, my grandparents had, I don't know how they got this. They just bought it. I guess it was on clearance once. Dextrex? I don't know if you remember that one or not. It actually it actually didn't. They liked it because it, it didn't plug into the TV. It was a TV by itself, right? Okay. And you had it. And that's why And they changed the colors. It was all black and white, but the change of colors, you would actually put like a piece of like clear well, plastic like a, like over, a clear over, plastic color, over yeah. the screen for the different things but um they just didn't want to give up my grandmother i guess always wanted to watch her soap operas and stuff like that but she didn't mind if the kids played video games so she just like they bought that and they here you go play play video games on that but i'm not you know i'm not missing my stories so you can yes. play video games so it's that sort of thing so i remember playing that when i was a kid over there and i got to the ataris my cousins had the atari and stuff like that but um yeah the, the, there was a bunch of some other systems that did come out but none of them really caught on like the atari and they all get affected in 1983 when you have the um, big crash, right? Yes. The video game crash, which is really, you can't talk about the history of video games without this crash. There are so many documentaries, books, studies on this came from the oversaturation of games, not the consoles, but of games. It was just so many of them. And a lot of them were super hyped, but bad games like the pack. And we talked about before, but the most notorious of all these, which I'm sure this podcast about this documentaries, yeah, was I feel like E.T. We talked about it at some podcast. I think too. we talked about it at one point, right? Yeah, we talked about it. But yeah, do it again, man. I, I, I remember <laughs> we talked about it somewhere. Well, basically, it was a horrible game. E.T. was super popular movie, right? E.T., that little alien thing with the neck right, that likes Reese's Pieces. It was considered one of the worst games of all time because it was just made to like tie into the popularity of the game. But it, there's nothing really happened in the game. I, I think, aren't you E.T. trying to rescue Elliot, like a little kid? And you run around like a maze and you can get stuck and... It's just a it's just a bad game, and it's led to a lot of these companies going bankrupt, and people just stop buying a game. I know there's a landfill somewhere, right? When then they dump yeah, like the thousands of those thousands of those games, and they actually went there in the documentary and dug them up and found a bunch of them. They're they're still all there, but they lasted for a couple of years, and a lot of these companies all went bankrupt, and it didn't really recover slowly until 1985, when in Japan a small company known as Nintendo releases the Famicom. Right, and it does eventually come to the United States, and it was an eight-bit graphic uh, system, which um, was better better than the ones from uh, like Atari and stuff like that. It didn't really catch on. They sold a couple hundred, I think, what, one hundred sixty thousand or something like that. They mm-hmm. sold decent number of the Famcoms, but then in 80, 1988-89 is when they released the uh, Nintendo Home Inter- Entertainment System, that classic design everybody knows in the United States, and that's when it starts becoming popular. They, they release it with Super Mario Brothers, which is like kind of like synonymous with video games if you think about it. Well, yeah, Mario was introduced years before in uh, Donkey Kong. Arcades. The arcade. So people knew him already. And this has becomes part of um, like capitalism too with these marketing because you see the idea of having a character. And that's something that we're going to talk about a lot in the, um, these other consoles that come out later. And all the, they, they need having a character, like a main focus guy really helps drive the sales because people want to continue playing the games based on this guy. People don't always want to play a, something based on like a movie or a show or, you know, stuff like that. They want It's it's like an original character. And in this case, it, the companies love it too because it's cheaper for them because they don't have to pay copyrights because they own the character. 
Yep. Nintendo creates Mario, Zelda, and Metroid Prime. Right? Yeah, Metroid. And, like these and, are the main characters are, to this day. Highly still. successful. Highly successful. Yeah. Did you know that Nintendo initially, the Japanese company, started as a card, like playing card manufacturer in eighteen like eighties? Yeah, they're doing that. Yeah, they were making stuff even during the the World Wars, like games and stuff, and they just got into video games. It was the next thing. Yeah. Kind of cool company. All right, so the, also the success of Nintendo was ushered by the fact that you, because these, there's, you have all these third-party franchises, you have companies that don't produce systems but produce games. Capcom, right, uh, winds up yeah. being one of them. Atari has Activision, right? So that's kind of what winds up happening. That's what drives the sales. So it's not just Nintendo no longer has to worry about just making games. You have other parties. It becomes a multi-million dollar business because companies are now springing up that produce software and games and the one thing that really made nintendo very very popular and eventually the court system has to get involved and, and strikes this down is that nintendo actually went out during its first system to various companies video game producing uh, companies and basically in in a nutshell told them it's either us or nobody else and in the sense that if you have a company that made a video game and another console came out, like which they did, Sega came out, actually, its first Sega system came out on 80s. These companies, it, was, it would be suicide to not produce games for Nintendo. For, for Nintendo, Nintendo. They, control, they control like over 90% of the market. Yep. So yeah, if you weren't making Nintendo, you weren't making money. So they said, yeah, if you're not going to go with us, you're doing with us and that's it. And then, and, yeah, so it made it very hard for other companies to have these game libraries. Yeah, and which made Nintendo popular for the longest time because of the fact that companies that made video games were kind of locked into only making video games for Nintendo, which kind of made it impossible for a bunch of other systems, even like up-and-coming systems, that companies that wanted to create video game systems. You could You have to because Nintendo literally had a monopoly on video game production in the United States and Japan, which eventually is struck down by legislation. It goes to court, and it's like, yeah, that's a monopoly. You can't do that. And as soon as it's struck down, that's when you have your console war because now Sega comes in um, in the late 80s and they're like, all right, now after this court decision, they could approach third market, yeah. you know, third party producers. Exactly. So I guess we can talk a little about Sega then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go so they're it. trying to get into the industry and they had released, like you said before, they were around prior to the early 90s. Um, they were around prior to the crash. And stuff like that. They had their Sega SG-1000, which you can look at pictures. It kind of looks like an Atari yep. to, uh, so, somewhat. And they, it did release um, actually the same day as the Famicom in Japan. All right? But again, it just wasn't selling as much. And they redesigned it again. They made it the Sega SG-1000 Mark II a little stronger. Um, did okay, but nothing crazy. And the main reason was what you were saying before, Pete. Such a limited library of games because they couldn't get these all these um you know licenses to make other games that was actually there was two reasons why nintendo said the reason they did that was because they were trying to prevent another gaming collapse that happened in that happened with 83 of having this oversaturation of games on the market so that's what that was their argument obviously they also was helping them because they had a monopoly on the games but eventually sega's fourth generation console would come out and that's the sega genesis and it was using, they had 16-bit graphics, right? Oh, so fancy and stuff like that. And it actually starts doing fairly well, right? We're not going to get into what that means, 16-bit graphics. But just so you guys know. It's uh, closer it's, to the arcade. Yes, trying to. 
Exactly. The processor on the regular Nintendo was 8-bit. This doubles the processing yeah. power, literally doubles it, of the original Nintendo. What that means is you have better graphics, better sound, better colors, more colors, literally more colors. And as you said, the basic idea is to emulate the arcade so you could bring that home. And it did look different. I, I remember, again, because they first comes out in 1989, they put it in test markets in New York City and Los Angeles. So in New York City, that's where my, un my uncles had one. Because they would always go and you know, fill off the back of a truck. Yeah, okay. But anyway, my uncles always had that stuff, right? They were a little bit, uh, they were like, I was maybe like six or seven and they were like in their 20s. Like they're my uncles, but they weren't like that much. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They were like those types of uncles. Yeah, I remember playing the game Altered Beast. Remember that game, Pete? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. And being like, oh my God, it's just like the coolest. I couldn't get past like the first like three things. It just looked so much different than a Nintendo game, right? The controller was different. It had, I think it had th what, three buttons instead of just the two buttons. So it was a little bit different. It was like black, the Sega Genesis. It was just different. It was kind of cooler. And what Sega starts to do is they also pay celebrities naming rights, like Pat Riley, Arnold Palmer, Joe Montana, Michael Jackson. Remember the Michael Jackson game? Yeah. Like threw like his hat around and stuff like that. So they would get these like they would get these celebrities who would be like Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, Joe Montana football. So the, and Sega was able to do that, and they were getting actually pretty good at this. Early sport games were actually be like these are. A lot better than the, the Nintendo sport games. Because Nintendo sport games were more like, uh, I guess, arcade-ish, they would say, or you know, things like that, like Mario football, whatever. But like Sega Genesis sport games were much more realistic, more like simulators. And that's a lot of people like those. And they really started to do well, but still uh, Nintendo didn't take them seriously. Nintendo was like, yeah, they have, there's like this little niche market, whatever. They were nowhere near the level of Nintendo. At this time, Nintendo still had over 90% of control over 90% of the market in the early 90s when this comes out. In 1991 is when Genesis, which was still struggling, starts to really make a dent in Nintendo. And this all happens because they, they get a new CEO on this man by the name of Tom Kaminsky. Kaminsky? Yep, yep, yep. Right? He comes in, he's from Mattel. So again, he got like this toy company. He says, listen, what we need to do is two things. One, Sega Genesis is too expensive. We're going to cut it from 189 to 149. All right. That's the first thing we're going to do. Second, we need a mascot. The reason that Nintendo is so successful is because they have Mario and Zelda, right? Those sorts mm -hmm. of people. And those are bundle games that come with it. When you bought Sega Genesis, you got Altered Beast, which was like a okay game, but it wasn't a game people were going to be talking about. Like people might remember it, nostalgia yeah. about it, but the characters and stuff are not whatever. So they create, they create their own character and that's Sonic the Hedgehog. And that's what changes Sega Genesis is the creation of Sonic Hedgehog. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. And Hassan of the Hedgehog, the idea was that Sonic had attitude. Like, he was not like your yeah, friendly shoes. plumber. Yeah. yeah, he was not your friendly plumber. Yeah, it was a fast-paced game. Oh, it still is. I mean, I still play the original Sega um, Sonic games. But it was meant for, like, an older audience, as, as odd as that sounds, because it's still a cartoon character. And eventually, there was a Saturday cartoon. But, you know, it's a, the idea of, like, Apple. there's an attitude. He's faster. It's more like, let's appeal to teenagers. And it also showcases the processing speed of the Genesis, because that game is so fast. It's it's like nothing that the people at home have ever seen. Oh, on yeah. And it was supposed to be the edgier system. If you remember the Sega uh, commercials at the end, they were like, scream sega 
right, and at the end yeah. and stuff like that. And again, it's very really a 90s thing, but it's all marketing. It's showing it's that's going to be what people remember. Like I'm 41 years old now, and I remember being a kid watching those commercials. And at the end of the day, Sega. Like, oh man, I I had Nintendo. I never had Sega. I had Sega. Yeah, I, I never had Nintendo. I had a Sega. So Sega Genesis also does this whole Genesis does what what Nintendo don't. Sega. You're they right. were called yeah, they were called Nintendo don't. It was definitely the cooler system. So I remember my cousins had both. So they they had Nintendo and, and Sega. And like, yeah, Sega was cooler. I'm not gonna lie, especially in their early 90s. Um, I guess we can do this. This kind of just showed the difference. And then it ushers in again when the um, government starts getting involved. Is fighting games start to be really popular with Street Fighter? Yeah. But the game that really brought um, attention to these video games and stuff like that, as far as being violent, was Mortal Kombat. Everyone knows Mortal Kombat if you listen to this. And I remember, you know, playing Mortal Kombat when I was a kid. My older cousins all had it. But um, it was the big difference was if you had it for Nintendo or Super Nintendo, I think it came out for, there was no blood, right? It was like sweat and a lot of the fatalities were different. They would just like knock the guy out, whatever. But if you had the Sega one, you could put in the cheat code. A, B, A, C, A, B, B. Yeah, something like that. Right? You could like, you could rip the guy's like spine out, right? And so that, and there was like blood. Again, this is nothing compared to like the, the gore that you see in these video games now, right? But like in the early 90s, it was a big deal. And that really showed the difference between Nintendo. It sounds like, oh, we're more family-oriented. We're never going to have these things. And then Sega's like, no, no we're, we're, we're for the older kids, right? We're yeah. for the teenagers. So we are going to put the blood in stuff like that in there. There was a um, congressional hearing about this when they decided that, listen, you guys have to come up with something or, or the government's going to get involved because were, people are always worried about these violent games. Again, video games make kids violent. I don't, I don't know. I don't probably not, but whatever. That's a whole other discussion, whole other podcast. Well, no, the they idea, created the rating system. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They created the rating system based off of that, which as a parent, I kind of is a great is a great way out because I just like, no, you're not old enough for that game because I don't feel like getting it for them anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh no, you're not old enough. Sorry. You know, <laughs> so it's like I even like when they show on the Legos. Oh, eight and up. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> can't, get, can't get these Lego set yet. What a shame. You know, it's just like one of those things that you can kind of use as an out. So, but anyway. Kind of alluded to this. We also need to mention the fact that Nintendo was outdated by now. So Nintendo yeah. comes out with the Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo, NES, yes. NES. And it sells out quickly. I mean, you have the whole base of uh, all kids from the 80s until 91 that just primarily. Oh, it, was huge. No, it, it was a hugely successful. Nintendo, even though Sega was, was considered cooler or was considered what they were still the number one in the market, I believe, right? At this time, like yep. Sega was still selling a lot, but Nintendo was still so dominant just because they were so like established. Entrenched. Yeah, established. Yeah. Entrenched. And they were still good games. They came out with stuff and people want like this, the Nintendo, the um, Mario games, or like Super Mario 3 was like one, one of the greatest selling games of all time. The Zelda games when they came out were still super popular. Like people still preferred those things, but because they only came out once or twice a year, you know, you had to wait for the game to be developed. Sega would like always have games coming out in the meantime. You know. Yep. So also, as uh, it, this was definitely uh, not a war. Someone, actually, someone in the media called it a war. But was when the Super Nintendo came out, its price was initially a little higher, but then it was quickly lowered to one forty nine to be exactly like the Genesis. And then Genesis um, lowered their price. <laughs> yeah, to one twenty nine right after. They're like, ah, ha ha ha, right? The idea was though, Super NES definitely outsold the Genesis when it came out in ninety two. But then by ninety three, Genesis for the first time, Sega basically outpaces Nintendo 
and captures 55% of the market share, which is crazy considering that in 1990, so just three years before that, Nintendo controlled 90% of the video game market. And now Genesis controls 55% of that market with within, like, what, short three years? Sure, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Which well, shows how quickly things can change. You know? make, it cool. make it cool and appeal yeah. to teenagers. If that's what it was. So if you were a little kid, you had Nintendo, all right, I guess. And um, and I, I, I said I was like, you know, 10, 11, 12 at this time. I, I kind of felt like that, too. I was like, oh, man, I kind of wish I had Sega Genesis. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I like Nintendo. So Nintendo I had the games and stuff, and I had no problem with it. And But I remember, like, always the Mortal Kombat thing always bothered me. <laughs> like, I, I want to see, you know, my friends who had the Genesis, oh, you have, the, you have that. Like, I always wanted to play the, um, the violent version. Now, by the time Mortal Kombat 2 and 3 came out, Nintendo put in the violent version. Because he had those... Um, well, because they had a rating. So now they had the see. rating. So they'd be like, oh, oh, this is only for whatever, PG-13, whatever it was. Yep. So if you want to buy it, buy it. So yeah, that changed things. But then, but if, even though there's more games coming out, there's still new systems coming too. And this is where Sega kind of gets in trouble, right? Yep. Or kind of um, creates a problem is they create Sega Saturn. So they actually have two going on at the same time, right? They have Sega Genesis. Yep. They have Sega Saturn. And Sega Saturn had some weird games too. They got them in trouble. Like remember Night Trap? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't want to get. Well, it was like a movie. It was basically a filmed with real actors, and it was a, a kind of girl that was yeah. like barely really dressed. You know, she's in like this nightgown, and it was a girl sleepover party that was getting attacked by vampires. Yes, and somehow you had control over a surveillance system, so you could to, watch. I just them. read about it. You could watch them and set traps to like stop the vampires from eating them. Yeah, it's just a lot of <laughs> Yeah, and this way, this is geared towards like you know, eleven, twelve-year-old boys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, it's a yeah, problem. Yeah, and that, yeah. That's, it was considered that one of the worst games ever, too. It got pulled from the shelves. Yeah, yes, but it was also brought up in court. That was one of the games. Yeah, that was the main one. Yeah, that, that was the one that really like freaked people out. Because also, it, it wasn't just video game. It was like you said, this was live Actors. action. Like it was like a, yeah. it was actors playing this movie. So it was like they're like, well, this is really like intense. Yeah, it was like, like too much. Not, yeah. Games are bad for yeah. young teens. Yeah. Anyway, arrival of Sony. I think Sony is what ends this war because, as you mentioned, Genesis really tries to update their console and they do it by first adding a CD component because CDs were all the rage in the early 90s and they add a CD component to it, but they don't add it as a separate system. They add it as an addition to their existing system. So it really doesn't make things much better. Then they came out with Sega Saturn at the same time. Meanwhile, Nintendo is actually also thinking like, all right, well, we need to stay relevant. So we're going to also add some kind of a CD-based system. So they partner up with Sony. And Sony, you can see pictures of this online. Sony actually designs a product for Nintendo Nintendo. PlayStation. Yeah. Yep. And they, it was supposed to be called Nintendo PlayStation, supposed to be based on discs and better graphics and so on and so it forth. Actually, they did make they did make a prototype of it, and it actually sold at auction not too long ago for like three hundred thousand dollars. Crazy. Well, the issue with with that whole thing was that Sony wanted more. They wanted to get into the video games. Control. Yeah. yeah, but also they wanted more control. Sony's version, its idea was, all right, well, we'll just call it the PlayStation, and it will be marketed by Nintendo, but it'll be like the PlayStation. And Nintendo was like, no, we are the main name on top of the yeah. box. And Sony they could wanted- play both. Like they could play CDs and cartridges. It was like yeah. a kind of like a combination of the N64 and then the PlayStation. But because Sony wanted to have their name alongside Nintendo, not as like a separate entity, separate yeah. entity, not that combined. made it fall apart. You know, the ironic thing here too is, which I did not know, so Sega Saturn, Sega tries to keep up. They come up with their own system, Saturn. There's not a lot of games for it. It was and bad. It was a bad system. It starts to tank. 
Well, PlayStation comes out first. Sony comes out with their own system, the PlayStation. Well, Sony goes to Sega too and says, "All right, we'll we'll, we'll partner with you guys." And the Sega just like doesn't even want to, they didn't even want to talk to them. They're like, "No, we're good. We have the Sega Saturn." They were so pumped up about the Sega Saturn, and they actually debuted it at the um, I think it was the original um, E3, like the Electronic um, Entertainment Expo. Expo. And they did that, and then that's when also Sony comes out and says, "Yeah, we have the PlayStation. It's coming out." People went crazy, and it's it's going to cost like it was. I think it cost a hundred dollars less than the Sega Saturn. Yeah, and then people just didn't even buy the Sega Saturn because it just wasn't. Well, Sega Saturn was literally three ninety nine, and the PlayStation was yeah. two ninety nine. That's like a big deal. That's a big difference, yeah. And they're both going to play CD- CDs, and Nintendo was still against the idea of the CD somewhat, right? They still liked yep. the cartridge system. They kind of had a. The idea was with the CDs, you can make them. Um, they're cheaper to make. Yeah, than the cartridge. Also, when PlayStation came out in nineteen ninety five, its sales over the first twenty four hours to forty eight hours exceeded all sales of Saturn from the past five months. Sony basically just rocked the industry, and all of a sudden, like here's Nintendo, like oh crap. And Nintendo tries to still stay relevant because what happens is they come out with Nintendo sixty four. And it is a 64-bit system. You know, so remember, like, it was 8-bit for the original Nintendo, 16-bit for Super Nintendo and Genesis. It comes out in 1996. I still have it downstairs. 3D graphics, so on and so forth. And I remember when Nintendo 64 came out because it brought back all the same characters. Like, Nintendo knows what it's good at, so it tries to stay in that ballpark. So they're like, Yeah, they they, they do great with nostalgia. Exactly. They're like, we're going to have a new Mario game. There's going to be a new Zelda game. There's going to be a new Metroid game. Although I don't think Metroid ever came out in 64. But... Let's bring back all of these characters and huge on RPG games, uh, role-playing games. And it does sell, but it's almost like can't catch up to Sony for some reason. It starts to realize like, oh, crap, like we had Sega to deal with and now we have Sony to deal with. So Sega tries to get back in the game again with a system that I also had um, when I was in high school. It was Dreamcast, right? Dreamcast. And I did not notice, but Dreamcast, the inside of Dreamcast, the actual software and stuff was developed by microsoft and it was microsoft that was helping sega create their system Dreamcast it had, built in, it had a built-in modem it was like one of the first ones you could do with that yeah video and games it did, online it did okay but then when the playstation 2 came out which yeah. was like the best-selling home console of all time it just like destroyed it and that was the end of um Dreamcast. But what's interesting here too is this is where microsoft is like hmm like maybe yeah, we could make our own it. yeah and Get into it, yeah. Yeah, Bill Gates, when he creates the first Xbox, which I still have my first Xbox, and I actually just played it like two weeks ago downstairs. Look at you, gamer. I I have all these systems, all connected (laughs) and literally all playable. Um, Xbox, when it came out, Bill Gates actually lost tons of money on it because he's like, I'll make the money back on the games. They lose money on the systems, I heard, right? Even the PS, what's that, the PS5 now? Nowadays, they lose, the, the systems are super expensive to make, and they lose money on the systems. That's why they don't come out with them as, as much as they used to. But they make their money back on the games. That's what it's yes. all about. But now you also you have the you have a lot of people that won't buy consoles. I mean, consoles are still super popular. They just play. They have their uh, gaming um, like computers. You know, you have you can play these games just on your on your home PCs with these elaborate. I know my cousin has something like that, and he has like fans that are constantly blowing yeah, yeah. on his uh, PCs and make sure they don't yeah, over- yeah overheat i'm like really like okay <laughs> like whatever works for you but like yeah but it's just that's like what the gaming industry has become now obviously it's a billion dollar industry so to kind of end this chapter here what's up happening is after the dreamcast sega's like they just don't have the same money as sony i mean sony is a major major yeah, they, they can't compete yeah company corporate you just can't compete with that type of a name so 
Sega just kind of becomes, you know, a video game making company, no longer a video game system making company. And at the same time, when Microsoft comes out in 2000 with their own 2001 with the Xbox, this also kind of spells the end for Nintendo's dominance. And N64 is the last really foray into trying to be relevant and dominant. After that, when Xbox comes out in 2001, PlayStation 2 comes out in 2001, Nintendo stays relevant when they start doing their quirky thing. They're like, we're going to have a different niche, like different market. And they come up with a GameCube, which is marketed as so has a handle. You could bring it by your friend. You know, you have four controllers for it. So you could play Super Smash Brothers. It's going to be a family system where you all get together and it's an experience. And, and all of a sudden, it's not about graphics anymore. It becomes about the experience. Yeah, they're all going to have somewhat, they're all going to have good graphics. Yeah. Although so if you want the Nintendo lags, they always lag. Yeah. Well, if you want the fancy graphics, they, then you, you go into um, the PlayStation or even just like the home console, like the, um, Xbox. The computers. Oh, computers. The computers, the oh, yeah, Xbox PCs, and things yeah, like yeah. that. Those sorts of things. Yeah, but they start, they do the GameCube. They're also, later on, it's going to lead to like the, the DS. Is that what the kids have now, right? The DS? Oh, DS is, dude, Switch, bro. Switch. The Switch. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. The Switch. I mean, whatever, um, whatever my kid's playing with probably right now. But you know yeah, what's, like yeah. Switch and stuff. But you know what like made Sony also, uh, again, ahead of its time? It plugged in initially in PlayStation 2, came with a DVD player. And that in itself, yes. DVDs were just coming that. out. And we had this transition from VHS so to DVD. Both. Yeah, so it was a big deal. Like, oh, just if you're going to get a DVD player, Might as just, well get get this. The, just get the PS2. And I remember telling that to my parents. They were like, oh, okay, yeah. You want that for your birthday? I was like, yeah, sure. It's like, oh, my God, I'm going to get PS2. Like, it was like a big deal, yep. you know? Yep. And then PS3 came out with a Blu-ray player. And it was the yeah. same thing. So it was like you try and tell your parents, like, hey, listen, like you'll have a Blu-ray player. And, and it plays video games, too. It's the yeah. same price. So why, why not just get this? And you're like, you know, you can rationalize it. Yep. That's basically what it was. Craziness. That's what it was. But yeah, but they're fun. I mean, yeah. And Nintendo went into the Wii, which is still one of the best-selling system ever for Nintendo. Uh, the graphics were nowhere near the systems that were out at the time, such as... Again, it wasn't supposed to be anymore. Like, yeah. They gave up on... Could they make something like that? I'm sure they could. But again, it's not cost-effective. They're just going to... It's all. It's about the games and the game. If you want the graphics, you're gonna to go to the the Playstations and the Xboxes that look like real, like those some of those Call of Duty games and stuff yep. like that. Yep, so. yep. And that kind of more or less uh, kind of brings us to today, where we have it's Xbox One, PlayStation Four, then turns into Xbox X versus PlayStation Five, and it's really just these two. Microsoft and Sony, you have these two humongous corporations going against each other. And Nintendo's still there with the Switch, but they're doing their thing. It's about marketing to younger players and nostalgia. Yeah, look at that Super Mario Bros. movie. Does that make like a yep. billion dollars worldwide? So Nintendo's going strong, and so is um, Sega. But again, it's their character. It's Sonic. Like, he's, he, he's uh, his movies. Didn't Sega, they merged with Nintendo in a certain, some of their video games. Because yeah, I know they have a lot of, like, like there's like racing games. Yep. Yeah, the Mario and Sonic are kind of team up now in a lot of stuff. I know uh, the boys have the Sonic, Mario, Sonic Olympics and stuff like that. Yep. They're characters, they're gaming companies still, but they're not they're not console companies anymore. So the only difference between these now, I mean, I have a PS5 and I have an Xbox X. I have both. Yeah, this and... whole um, show is just you saying, I have this, I have this, I have this, Pete. I know, but I have it all. Like, like well, that's, like I mean, that's like me bringing like my own experience. Games. But isn't yeah, it like I, me bringing I, my own experience? I'm, I'm just messing with you. I know. I'm just, man, all these people are going to be like, oh, this guy is, has all this stuff. Well, yeah, we, he has it all. For, it's also been like 40 years of you just having this stuff. Yeah, well, plus you know I'm a mean? gamer. Yeah. I collect these things. But having both, having all, all of these systems we talked about, <laughs> I think that after Xbox and PlayStation 2 and all the way up to PlayStation 5 and Xbox X now, 
honestly, there's no difference in graphics. Like you have it connected to your 4K TV. There's no difference. Really, all you're all you're paying for now is some of those exclusive games that only come out on specific systems. That's really what it comes down to. It's not as much as when Sega Genesis came out and it literally had double the capability and the graphics were visually better than original Nintendo. It really now is just like, hey, which game do I want to play? Do I want to play Halo? Then I need to have Xbox. Do I want to play, you know, Last of Us or Uncharted? Then I'm going to go to PlayStation. It's the game, yeah. That's right. It's all, it's all driven by the game. You have to still have successful games. And they've realized this. So if it, if it takes a year or so or longer to get the game developed, all right, that's better than rushing it out because they learned that mistake with like E.T. and Pac-Man. Like you can't just put a crappy game out with a license and it's not going to sell. You have to have like the backstory. You have to have the characters. You have to, have to have, has to be fun to play. All right. Well, I think that kind of brings us to the end of the console wars and brief history of video game systems. Yeah, I know there's a lot out there and it's probably going to be more to come. Who knows? I'm sure they have plans for the PlayStation 6, 7, 8, and 9 too. It's just a matter of no, but they're so when they want to release it. They're so good. Like I... I don't know what else you can do. I really don't know what, what else you can do. Well, eventually, I'm sure you're plugged into your head or something like that. So, Well, they have virtual game systems now. I mean, you know, never mind. I'm not going to say it, but I do have the Meta 2 <laughs> thing. And, like, those games are pretty cool when you play virtual. I mean, I guess. Anyway. Whatever works for you, Pete. Whatever Go works. play your video games. Go honestly, I'm so I'm so inspired. And now that summer's here and we're not teaching anymore, I'm literally spending the rest I'm, of my day. I'm going to go outside with sunshine nah. and play something called a sport. Nah. <laughs> but if you want, to, you're gonna stay inside and play Call of Duty. Go for it, man. That's Whatever works. Person. All right. Well, as always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in, and we do appreciate it. If you need to find us, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. We are there to answer any of your questions, and also please send us suggestions for episodes. We do welcome those. And I think that's it. And we'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com.